Welcome to Into Africa. My name is Mvemba Pezo Dizolele. I'm a senior fellow and the director of the Africa program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. This is a podcast where we talk everything Africa, politics, economics, security, and culture. Welcome. African Lion is the United States military's premier and largest exercise on the African continent. This time, in its 19th year, the exercise happened from May 13th to June 16th. The bulk of the exercise took place in Morocco, with portions happening in Tunisia and Ghana. This is a very important event in that it is long-standing as it has been going on for 19 years, but it also brings together several countries, both from Africa and from other parts of the world, including Europe, Latin America, the Middle East, and even Pakistan. Nearly 8,000 personnel participated, representing 40 partner countries. To help us unpack the importance of African Lion, I'm joined by Major General Michael Thurley, the Adjutant General of the Utah National Guard, whose element participated in the exercise. Major General Thurley, Thank you for joining us and welcome to Into Africa. Thank you, sir. It's, a, it's an honor to be with you as well. This event has been taking place for a number of years. It's obviously an important part of U.S. defense system, but it's also U.S. foreign policy. You are from the Utah National Guard. How does the Utah National Guard fit into this? That's a great question. And, and one of the things that I think that's most interesting about the continent of Africa, one, it's a very diverse continent, huge continent. And you know this as well as I do. Really, the future of the globe rests on the continent of Africa. And so it is so large and it is so diverse. It really is an economy of force theater. When we look at global power competition and we look at how important Africa is, it's important that we have a presence, that the U.S. has a presence. So the National Guard provides an opportunity for the Department of Defense and the State Department to have an influence on the continent of Africa with and by using some kind of reserve component, not just active duty soldiers, airmen, marines, sailors. So this, I think, is a great leverage point for the United States and a great leverage point for Africa. And in this case, in Morocco, when this started 20 years ago, it really was kind of an experiment, I think, for the Department of Defense when they were beginning these state partnerships. But I think it has blossomed into something beautiful, especially here again in Morocco. You mentioned something, state partnership program. We are in Agadir today, you and I, we just, we both participated, assisted, I assisted, you participated in this uh, operations. Utah is not, Utah is part of the United States. So Utah does have its own foreign policy. Morocco is a country, is a kingdom. The other countries, Ghana, Qatar, and everybody else are countries. So Utah is part of the United States. This is a, an assignment that has been undertaken by U.S. AFRICOM and other command. In fact, we had a lot of commands here. We had U.S. command, you had U.S. Africa command, Cybercom, Spacecom, UCOM, Transcom, SOCOM, the entire gamut of U.S. commands here. Again, I'm trying to understand when you mention state program, state partnership program, what is the relationship between Utah as a state of the United States, which is present? We have the U.S. Army here, the Marines and Navy and everybody's here. But yet there is also this component, which is 
Utah. Well, it's it's part of that complex relationship between state militias or the National Guards of each state and the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force. First, National Guards provide the combat reserve for the U.S. Army and U.S. Reserve. While the Army has a reserve component on Title 10 and the Air Force has a, a reserve component in Title 10, uh, they are not the combat reserve. They're individual augments. They have a different sort of reserve mission. The National Guard provides that direct relationship. I can bring in, as I did today, and for this exercise, a battalion of field artillery. And so the ability for the National Guard to bring in units, and also I brought portions of my refueling wing for the Air Force side. So the states provide this extrapolation, or if you will, a connection to those active duty components, the active duty Air Force and the active duty Army. Now, having said that, the United States is a federal government, meaning that it has states that are components of the federal government and have an important part to play, not necessarily in defining foreign policy for the United States, but participating, as we talked about, and assisting them in foreign policy. So we feel at least in the case of Utah, that we provide a partnership, an ability to provide some resources at a much reduced cost and much reduced time expenditure, but get the same effect in countries like Morocco. But there are many other countries in the African continent that, that really benefit from the idea of having National Guard units come in and out and do training exercises, participate, help them build their civil society. And I think that is one thing that we could both agree on in Africa, we need that development, that ability to build their civil societies in these various countries that have struggled with the transition from colonialism through neocolonialism into some kind of democratic process. Utah looks very much like Morocco, minus the ocean. You do have the Great Salt Lake, yes. which is unfortunately drying up. The army of Morocco is big. The forces Army Royale are big. They've been around for a long time. The state of Utah has been around for a long time. But the skill set, the balance of capacity may not be the same. Can you talk a little bit about this partnership that Utah has with the Kingdom of Morocco, particularly in the security and defense space? Absolutely. So I think one of the things that we've been able to do over the years is use, certainly not in bulk, the Utah National Guard does not have the bulk numbers of the Moroccan Royal Armed Forces. But what Utah does have is a very diverse set of military capabilities. I have special forces, a special forces group and two battalions underneath the special forces group. I have a field artillery brigade with two battalions of Paladin, self-propelled armored 155 howitzers. I have an aviation brigade that has Apache helicopters, a battalion of Apache helicopters and a battalion of Blackhawks. I provide also a, a unit called the Troop Command, which has some domestic emergency capabilities that really resonate in a country that has, at different times, you know, fires, floods, and other kinds of civil emergencies. We have a good, strong medical component. We have refuelers on the Air Force side, which Morocco does not have. And so to keep their F-16s current, I can bring in my refuelers and help them train up and, and stay current on refueling operations. But over the years, and of course, we've had engineers come in and help them with humanitarian mine assistance over the years and help them develop some mine training centers up in uh, Kenitra. We've helped them develop their own special forces capability. We've helped them per through the uh, foreign military sales process of the Department of Defense. We've helped facilitate the purchase of Paladins, M1s, M2s, Apaches. They have transitioned while we've been partners with them to the F-16. So really, I think what we have done over the years is not necessarily provide the bulk matching in terms of forces, and you're absolutely right, 
the Royal Armed Forces of Morocco are large and impressive and good and very professional. But what we bring is we bring some other skill sets that are missing pieces and we kind of fill those in. I would refer to it as somewhat like filling in the, the wood with putty and then being able to sand it to a good finish. We're just providing little spaces and things that they need so that they can fill out their capabilities. So how do you complement journal? We've seen, we've been different places since we've been here, going to different bases, seeing different components of this exercise in a couple of places here in Morocco. The U.S. has a presence here to the embassy, the defense attaché, the Office of Security Cooperation. The U.S. Army provide, the U.S. military at large, provide all kinds of elements. What is it that you're providing them, the Moroccan armed forces, the forces armée royale, that complement exactly what the army can? Because in the end, the National Guard, so in the States, we always think of the National Guard that they serve at the pleasure of the governor, you know, this is the narrative. They're on TV fighting fires, fighting water disasters, and so on. They, they're 911 of the state in so many ways, right? And then every so often we have issues with conflict and we deploy the, the U.S. deployed the National Guard. But we don't think of them as going out there and being this one pillar, at least a sub-pillar of U.S. engagement there. This is what is. So National Guard, on one level, we think of them as reservists. These are people who have other jobs, and then they augment security in the state. We also think of them as having limited time. This exercise took, the full of it took, as we say, from May 13 to, to, to 16 June. But some of the commitment is probably, I suppose, part of the summer training or obligation of the Guard. How does this fit in sustaining a relationship between Utah and the Kingdom of Morocco? It's been awesome in terms of this relationship because, one, the National Guard, certainly the narrative is that we only serve two weeks in the summer and one weekend a month. But that has not been the reality really since the 80s. As we've transitioned, especially post 9-11 in the United States of America and a re much reduced United States military, the National Guard has really had to supplement and what we call operationalize our reserves. So in comparison to what we used to do, say, prior to 9-11, in a, in a normal rotation in and out of CENTCOM on a yearly basis, at different times, we've approached 60% of the force deployed in CENTCOM AOR. So we're a significant part of the Department of Defense in terms of their operational capability. What I would say in terms of how we support the Moroccans and the kingdom that the army cannot do is that we, one, we provide a constant presence. I have a bilateral affairs officer assigned to the U.S. Embassy in Rabat. That officer and his family live in Rabat. And they are uh, typically, we've been doing this now for 20 years. This is our 20th anniversary. Our BAO stays on a two to three year tour and supports the embassy and the Office of Security Cooperation and the uh, defense attache. And so whoever that officer is on a three-year basis, we provide that out of the Utah National Guard to support this con uh, connectivity between the kingdom and Utah and the Department of Defense. The other, the other part that I think that we provide that the U.S. Army cannot provide is our rotations of training throughout the year. So my special forces can come in on JSETs and they can provide a, a three to six week period of time of just doing joint combined exercises with the Moroccan Special Forces. We actually built that capability with them and, and then take them to the next level. In comparison to, say, an SFAB, which might be able to, you know, in one brigade, they might be able to hit the entire continent of Africa. An SFAB is a Security Forces Assistance Brigade. 
and that is a, a new brigade. It looks somewhat like a special forces group, but they're one assigned, assigned to most COCOMs, and in the case of Africa, there are two, but they are stretched thin. So their ability to come in, they might be able to do six or, or 10 engagements a year. They're fairly long in, in length, their engagements, but this is Africa. There's a lot of countries and there's a lot of need. So what I'm able to do with my special forces and my artillery and my, all my other skill sets that I have is that throughout the year, I can provide different engagements at different times to help the Moroccans train on things. One of the things that I'll point out, something that I don't think that you would ever be able to get out of the U.S. Army or any other active component is this was about 15 years ago. The Moroccans identified a problem in terms of their military being able to respond to a civil emergency. That seems like right in the wheelhouse of the National Guard of the United States. And we said, well, we'll help you build that kind of capability. So they took an engineer unit, a typical combat engineer unit, and we turned it into an EOD, engineer, medical, C-Bernie, and combined that all into one unit called the Unit Security Savatage. That unit, that search and rescue unit, it has also uh, swift water rescue and some other capabilities. But that unit itself is able to then respond throughout the kingdom like a National Guard unit to provide civil emergency, fight fires, rescue people out of floods, do technical rescues if they have an earthquake. And to this, you know, they've, they've built a, an awesome capability and they actually deployed that capability to Beirut when the ship blew up a couple of years ago in the harbor. And I think that's the only instance that I know of outside of peacekeeping operations under the UN auspice, that an African nation has been able to just deploy, self-deploy itself to another nation to provide humanitarian assistance and not be under PKO. That's pretty amazing to me. I realize the Utah National Guard is just a small piece of that, but I certainly am proud of our ability to come in and help them build that capability. And an extrapolation of that is we've been trying to help their civil services, meaning civilians that do EMS, et cetera, to build out their ambulatory care. Their ability to, to provide an ambulance in the past has been just a fast taxi. If somebody gets hurt, gets sick, has a heart attack, they send an ambulance, they pick them up, and they just drive really fast to a hospital. Whereas in the United States, we provide an EMT in the back. We're trying to help them develop that capability, and that's really something that came out of the uh, USS unit. General, you've laid out a lot of issues there. I call them issues because the challenges need to be tackled, and it looks like in this partnership, you try both the kingdom and Utah trying to, to address this. But if I heard you right, you said 60% of your personnel are committed to at, in one form or in another in, in these new days. Is that correct? Uh, not a, no, I, what I was trying to explain was that at different times when we've ran combat operations in CENTCOM AOR. And AOR, our listeners are all civilians mostly. Absolutely. So it's, AOR is area of operational responsibility. So when, within the CENTCOM AOR area of operational responsibility, not just the Utah National Guard, but the forces that are in CENTCOM, whether it be in Afghanistan, Iraq, or other nations in the CENTCOM area, up to 60% of those were National Guard and or reservists. So a significant portion of the U.S. Department of Defense is now really operational under reserve components. So we just motivate, activate, and then deploy those units in support of whatever the combatant commander requires. The Utah National Guard, uh, you say, General, has had this partnership with Morocco for 20 years. How has that worked out? What have been some of the challenges? Partnerships is always a give and take. Absolutely. I would say that there's always the challenge of trying to synchronize cultures. 
especially when you have language barriers, you have religion barriers, you have all other kinds of, you know, their organization is under a monarchy. We have a Republican democracy. And so those kinds of synchronizations are always a challenge. But one of the things that I have been just gratified by is the fact that Morocco and Utah, you, you talked about the geographic similarities. I think there's huge cultural similarities. How so? And I would say that primarily Utah, although it's not the only religion, there is a dominant religion, and that is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There is a history of that religion within Utah. It's very faith-based. There are other religions, and certainly within the Utah National Guard, we represent all of the diversity of the Utah population. But that faith-based respect, if you will, for faith is something I think that is shared in Morocco. I think the other part of the similarities is we are a very family-oriented state. Some of that is the influence of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I think it's also something that's just grown organically within the state of Utah. Morocco is extraordinarily family-oriented, and so we have learned over these 20 years that when we work together, and that's one of the things that we have been able to develop in the partnership is what we call the Moroccan Youth Exchange. So every year we send some Utah kids to Morocco and Morocco kids come to Utah and we exchange families. What that does, I think, is it shows Americans how amazing the continent of Africa can be, and especially Morocco. And it shows Moroccan youth how amazing the United States of America can be and it trains people to be mutually respected. These youth that come to Utah, what do they do? Well, we, we do a lot of stuff. They're the children of military. Then we send the children of Utah National Guardsmen. But we, we give them some training on how our state is organized. We take them to a visit to the state legislature. We usually have some kind of a, an engagement with the governor. And then there's just a lot of fun. We take them to rodeos. We take them to parades. We take them on family events. And really, they just have a lot of fun. Typically, how many come and how do you select them and how long do they stay? Typically, approximately two weeks that we do the exchange. And we allow the Moroccans to choose the families and the children that will go. And, and we choose our families that will participate. And then we arrange that through an organization called the Moroccan Youth Ambassadors. And they are separate from the Utah National Guard, but we assist them as much as possible. And then we, we send those children over. That is not funded by Department of Defense. It's not funded by the State Department. It is funded by the Kingdom and through private donation within Utah. Is there a specific age group that we're talking about? I think that we look for teenagers. Um, again, the Moroccan Youth Ambassadors uh, define those, those numbers, but this year we'll be sending 13. And so that's exciting to have 13 Moroccan youth come to the state of Utah. And that's, that's exciting. From, your, uh, from our discussion today, General, I get a clear sense of the capacity that you provided the Moroccans, uh, where you augment their own skill set and capabilities that they have, as you said. The Moroccan Royal Forces are very well respected across the continent. They open their academies to other African countries for training of officers and enlisted and so on, the university and so on. What does Utah gain in reverse? Well, that's a great question. And I do think, and I, I heard my governor echo this today when he gave his comments during the culmination exercise for African Lion, is that we actually do gain a great deal from the Moroccans. I would say the first thing that we gain is we gain the opportunity to deploy our forces to Morocco. 
And that may seem like, well, that seems fairly straightforward, but just as we did today, we deploy our guns from Utah, our howitzers out here to fire. That requires a logistics exercise. That requires uh, coordination with Transcom. It requires coordination with the Moroccans. It requires all of the coordination that we would use to deploy into combat. So we are, we're exercising the skill sets that we would use in combat. So it makes you better. At least you keep up to date. It absolutely makes us better. It also provides an, an amazing training venue. And if you've been out to Tan Tan or Ben Gurir, all of those training areas are amazing. And this nation has quite a diverse training area. And so it provides an opportunity for us to do special forces, airborne operations. We can do our refueling operations. We can provide our artillery fires. We can do engineering and mine assistance. And so all of those things are things that we may not have the opportunity to train on in the United States. So it provides a great training venue and training diversity. And then I also think that there's this other, perhaps it's part of the soft advantages or benefits that the Utah National Guard, it provides us with an opportunity to make an impact in global security. And I think the Maghreb is extraordinarily important in Africa and in the world. And the reason is because it is the cusp of the Mediterranean. It has that connection to the Eurozone. It has strong connections to central command. And it also provides an influence on the Sahel and the rest of the African continent. You talked about the fact that other countries come to Morocco to get their staff training and their war college. Well, we try to provide that for the Moroccans in the United States. And that training going back and forth makes an impact, a positive impact, we think, on the world through Africa, and Utah National Guard gets to participate in that. And what that does is, and I'm a big believer in this, is that if you're trying to motivate people to serve, serve their country, serve their fellow man or woman, you must give them meaning. And the meaning here is Morocco is important. It's an exporter of peace and security in the Maghreb, which has an effect on the rest of the African continent, which has an effect on the world. And that's an extraordinary honor for us to be a participant in. For the time we've been here, we've certainly seen uh, Moroccan armed forces skill set come to work. We've been flown back and forth by Moroccan, the Moroccan Air Force, and the pilots have just been outstanding. The landing, the takeoff, all this stuff has been very amazing. Utah National Guard, do you only have partnership with Morocco? Do you have partnership with other countries? Let me put it this way. We have begun a relationship with Nepal, the government of Nepal. We do not have a defined state partnership relationship, but we're trying to help them develop some capability for disaster response. Having said that, there are many states in the United States that do have multiple countries that they interact with. Nepal is definitely at the very beginning of this relationship, and we're trying to be very sensitive to their government's needs and not try to push ourselves in there. But certainly the, the, uh, the government of Nepal is a relationship that we're working on. The commitment you've described, General, require a lot of money, resources, not just the skill set, but you just described getting your howitzer here or getting your refuelers here. How does that cost put pressure on, on, uh, on your side, on your ledger? Well, thankfully, uh, within the Department of Defense, under the auspice of the State Department, we have some funding that's set aside just for state partnerships. Uh, again, in comparative analysis to, say, the rest of the COCOMs and their training budgets, which I have some background in, 
that that relationship or that that amount of money that we spend to get the howitzers over here um, because we're not we're not using active duty personnel um, is much reduced. It does cost money. It puts it puts a strain on our resources. But again, I think because of the other benefits on that balance sheet, if we're looking at it, is still positive. We get a lot more out of this process. If I spend five dollars in the Kingdom of Morocco, moving guns in and out, or doing other kinds of training, I believe that I get twenty dollars worth of value out of helping the Kingdom of Morocco, and then therefore again the Maghreb and the continent of Africa. It also puts pressure on your men and women. I mean, this, as we said, the civilian commitment. There's pressure there. I think that needs to be managed. I don't know how long you've been uh, involved in this program. You've had 20 years. Utah National Guard has done 20 years of this partnership. So, but you as, as an officer, how long have you been involved in so, this? So of the 20 years, about 15 of it, I have been involved. Not Some years have been lighter than others. Uh, but when I started this, I was the aide-de-camp to the adjutant general at that time. So you were captain... I was a yeah, brand new major, and I came over here and uh, assisted then uh, Adjutant General, Major General Brian Tarbett, and I helped him in a couple of different engagements. I was here for African Lion. I was here in Agadir as a major, and I've developed those relationships over those 15 years. So of the 20, about 15 of it, I've been involved. And how have you seen the relationship change? Well, certainly I've seen a tightening of the relationship between Utah and Morocco. We certainly respect each other. We've been able to, to do things like develop the Moroccan Youth Exchange. That was not something that was being done at the beginning. We're incorporating more types of units. You know, in the beginning, it was very, very staid. It was like, you know, some refueling, maybe a little bit of artillery and some engineers, and, and that was it. But now I'm bringing in my Apaches, and I'm doing other kinds of training. I'm bringing in my special forces. I'm doing all kinds of disaster response training. So I've seen a diversification and perhaps a deepening of that, that training relationship. And, and I, we continue to try to come up with new ideas to have the Moroccans come to Utah and participate in exercises with us to see how we do things to prepare for civil emergencies. So those are things that I think that we have seen change over the years. But certainly, you know, whenever you spend time with a person or a country in this case, you develop relationships. And I believe that security and stability is is developed to relationships. People have to know each other. They have to trust each other. They have to find ways to respect each other. And um, I think that has been something that we've developed over these past 20 years. You've seen junior officers become general officers like yourself. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think of myself as a good example because I'm just a guy, but I've really seen some amazing people develop on the Moroccan side and I've seen some amazing people on the U.S. side. And I think probably the other thing that I think has been amazing to me is to see the development of the NCO Corps in the FAR. That's a non-commissioned officer corps. Yes, and the non-commissioned officers for Morocco have been developing over these past 15 years. And prior to that, it was more of a Francophile model. So I'm, uh, I'm just impressed with the way people have developed over these past 20 years. A Francophile model would have been different. Uh, how? Well, they're very officer-centric. French com- countries, so top they're heavy. Yeah, they don't have really a strong middle. Um, they have good enlisted soldiers, but their NCO corps is not as developed as their officer corps. So a lot of their junior officers take on the roles of what we use our NCO corps for. And we believe, the United States, not just Mike Turley, 
But we believe in the United States that our secret sauce is our non-commissioned officers. Our non-commissioned officers are what make our military in the United States run better, more flexible, um, and able to take leadership initiative. In every situation, General, there is a gap between the reality and the perception. Where is that gap here in your partnership? How do you bridge that uh... Well, I don't know. I don't know that I see necessarily a gap in perception to reality. I think what I see is always the challenge of people working together, which I think is common. It's, in fact, that's to be expected. Um, we're always going to have challenges between what we want to do and what the Moroccans want to do and how we bridge that together to be successful. So I don't know that it's a gap, but I would say the reality is is that we're always working together to communicate. But the longer you have that relationship, the easier it is to make that communication. I can go and talk to an officer that I've known for 10 years and say, in the past we've done this, can we do this in the future? And he or she can say, yes, I can do that, or no, I can't do that, and here's why. And we can continue to, to iterate the communication and make it work. Um, when you're always renewing those relationships, which is very common in the active duty, it's tougher to do that. Major General Michael Thurley, the Adjutant General of the Utah National Guard, thank you very much for joining us here in Agadir in the Kingdom of Morocco for Into Africa. We appreciate you, General. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate your comments today and your questions. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We want to have more conversations about Africa. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts. You can also read our analysis and report at csis.org slash Africa. So long. <laughs>